Welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. You definitely want to stay tuned for this episode today. I've got a great guest on today. We're going to talk about a couple of things that have never talked about on this show. We're going to talk about employee rights. We're going to talk about um, the employer when it comes to the National Guard and Reserve, when a troop gets deployed or goes on orders for a long time. We're also going to talk about troops uh, or aspiring troops, I should say. Uh, that want to go to one of the service academies and what that looks like if somebody wants to put in those applications. So two things, like I said, I've never talked about before. So I'm really excited to dive a little deeper into both of these topics. I've got a guy that's an expert on both of those. So without further ado, we're just going to dive right into it. Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. Welcome to the show, Scott. Hey, it's great to be here, Keith. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just pumped up from that show intro over there, man. Yeah, well, it is is great to have you. Uh, and I'm I'm I really seriously mean that. This is really neat to talk. It's always neat to talk about something new. And these are such like I guess I'll say a niche topic that I don't know that much about because I was on active duty. So before we get too far you know, down that rabbit hole, like I know that there's employee rights and all that stuff like that, but I don't know that much about it. So to me, I, uh, I don't really know that much. So it's, it's a great opportunity to kind of spread that, especially to other people who may not know that much or young troops that maybe just got in the guard or might be looking at a deployment and not know what their rights are. But before we dive into it, tell us a little bit about yourself and your service. I appreciate it so much, Keith. Um, yeah, it's been a, my service has been a journey. And uh, I think you and I were talking a little bit offline the other day. Um, I don't do anything halfway. So I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. So for me, being a reservist, being a reserve officer, um, I take that responsibility seriously. I'm, I'm all in on it. And my past couple of years in the service has been um, a whirlwind of activity. And I know that for everybody, uh, sort of everybody has their own experience. Um and I want to make sure folks know what opportunities they have and that, you know, they know how they are advancing. And so, um, yeah, it's it's my honor to be involved in some pretty awesome organizations and be an ambassador and advocate for them. Um, but, yeah, on the personal note, um, uh, you and I have something in common. We're both used to cold weather um, there in Illinois. Um, you're, you're a little bit more uh, central and southern than, uh, than I am. Um, in Illinois, but um, but I'm from Chicago, more specifically Skokie, Illinois. I'm not there right now. I'm enjoying a little bit of warmer weather on my current military assignment, um, but I'm from Skokie, Illinois, born and raised out there, although I went to school Israel, Detroit, New York. Um, so I had the opportunity from a fairly young age to travel quite a bit for my education. Um, what else can I tell you? I've got a master's in nonprofit management, a doctorate in education. Like I said, I'm passionate about everything that I do. So I'm really, really passionate about organizations doing amazing things. I'm passionate about education and helping uh, folks advance. Um, as I always tell people, uh, I've done a lot of things entrepreneurially and in small business. And my goal in getting my doctorate was it shouldn't just be about being able to do those things, but I want to inspire and help others to to also do things and so they can build their own business and so they can advance in whatever their respective careers are. So that's that's my educational background. Um, on the business side, I've done a lot of things. Uh, I've grew up in a family business, an accounting firm. I swore as a kid I would never end up in the firm, but I was the only kid in third grade that had a budget. So I was doomed. Um, and that's, that's pretty impressive, actually. I mean, it's, Thank you. it was like $5, $10, something like that. 
something Where's like that, that. <laughs> something like that. But I, was in the I, piggy bank. <laughs> I credit my dad with really teaching me the value of money and all that. And it's good. It gives me the opportunity to teach young soldiers these days about not spending their first paycheck on buying a new Porsche or, or Corvette, um, which believe it or not, that's actually an, almost a daily conversation. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I've run businesses. I've started a bunch of businesses. Um, really, really passionate about nonprofits. I've consulted with dozens of nonprofits over the years, some in the United States, some beyond. Um, I teach in my spare time. I love teaching business classes, um, which is awesome. Business accounting, math, uh, marketing, all sorts of things that, like I said, I want to inspire others to, to learn how to do things right. And I guess most importantly these days where I spend a lot more of my time is service, service, which I know we're going to talk a lot about over the next little while. So that's, that's Scott Klein in a nutshell. That's awesome. And I would, you know, keep, keep teaching the, the young troops about the finances. I know sometimes, uh, it's almost like you just got to smack them right in the back of the head to, to let it soak in some, some way, shape or form. But they really need to get it somehow that, uh, you know, 33% interest on that Mustang or that Porsche is not a wise financial decision. I don't know how many times we all need to keep saying it. It's not, you know, like it may seem cool to have that sitting in the parking lot, but, uh, you know, the, the insurance costs, the payment, the extra fuel, because, you know, nobody drives it like an old grandma, <laughs> Yep, you know, that, that all adds up too. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure that really hasn't changed. I've been out for years. I just re recorded an episode not too long ago that, that'll come out uh, a little bit before yours will here, but uh, we were talking specifically about finances and we were kind of joking in that one about, you know, when I was in uh, for my first deployment, I was up in Fort Lewis, Washington. And I remember going to the, the chow hall there and it was just obviously at the time, you know, the army was deploying for like, 15 months, 18 months. And you could tell that some guys had just come back from a rotation. Cause you just pull up to the parking lot and it's just escalate, 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 <laughs> you know, Cadillac sedan, escalate pickup truck, <laughs> you know, Porsche. And it's just like, Holy cow. I mean, these dudes, I mean, it's like, we knew we made pretty good money. Yeah. Air force guy, you know, six month deployment. Like it's like, we made pretty good money, but these guys, you know, 15, 18 months, like, Holy cow. And they just come, you know, so it's, it's ridiculous. Um, like you could, you could make some good money back in the day, but people were obviously not making good, wise financial decisions. Sure. You might be able to put your whole family in that vehicle, <laughs> but what's it cost you at the end of the day? But anyway, that's, that's me on my soapbox. Um, but, uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about is you are in, uh, an ESGR. So explain to us what, what that title is and what, what that is for, for people that don't know. Sure. So I am the employer outreach uh, co-director for Illinois for the ESGR. ESGR stands for the employer support of the garden reserve. ESGR is a official program of the department of defense. Um, and it really, as the, uh, as the name suggests, it's all about ensuring the cornerstone um, of the of of our reserve and guards' ability to deploy and support uh, and and protect and defend our nation. So many folks don't know. Um, you know, you've heard of the the National Guard coming out. I was just reading an article right before we jumped on um, that the National Guard in California is involved in some storm response. Folks have heard 
you know, in our home state of Illinois, flooding and things like that, that the guard is out there immediately, you know, at your doorstep and, and you know, serving the community uh, that they come from. Um, and whether it's, you know, Air Force, Army, um, you know, Guard and Reserve are, are key parts of, uh, of our national defense. What folks don't know is that the Guard and Reserve make up about 40% of our total troop strength. And that means that literally we would not have the same military that we have today and that our nation depends on without the National Guard and the Reserve components. Um, and specifically, I'm talking about the Air Force and the Army, um, although there's certainly, again, on the on the Navy side, there's also the Navy Reserve as well. Um, our entire military, God bless everybody that, you know, picks up their right hand and, and agrees to serve, whether they're doing it full time, um, like you did. Um, and thank you for your service, Keith. Um, and uh, or, or whether somebody's doing it part time. I'm biased. I've watched how folks have agreed to split their lives. Um, and have uh, decided to serve, as we say, you know, uh, what, what's the term? Uh, one, uh, you know, one week in a month, two weeks a year, um, uh, part citizen, part soldier. It's in reality, um, since I've been in the military now for about five years, there's not been a single day that I've not done something military related. And that's the life that I chose to live. So going back to your question, Keith, in terms of the ESGR, um, the ESGR um, was uh, was started um, uh, many years ago, and the idea was to ensure that guardsmen and reservists can deploy, can do their military service without um, losing their job, without their civilian work being impacted. So I know you're in the real estate business. I've been in, like I said, accounting and 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 nonprofit and so on. I know folks that are serving in in whether it's uh, junior enlisted ranks or senior officer ranks that have pretty, uh, pretty major, you know, civilian jobs. And uh, ESGR um, was, was founded. But let's talk about another acronym because this wouldn't be a military-themed podcast without sharing as many acronyms as possible. So let's talk about USERA. USERA stands for the Uniformed Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act. And it was signed into law in 1994. Um, so USERA basically clarifies and strengthens the Veterans Reemployment Rights Statute, um, which basically means that um, when somebody is activated onto Title 10 orders or Title 32 orders, whatever the category is, whether they're serving in their state or they're deployed into Iraq, the idea is that basically the employer has an obligation to hold their job for them, and that they can continue to advance at the same rate they were advancing before as if they did not deploy. And the idea is that nobody can be discriminated against for, a, for their service in the military. Makes logical sense, right? But at the same time, flip it around and understand, and I know you've got a lot of folks tuning into this podcast, employers of all sorts of sizes, and folks are saying, gosh, Scott, Keith, it's a tough economy out there. How am I going to continue to run my business if, you know, if folks are running off and going to do their thing? And that's the idea. That's where you that's exactly what in. I was going to ask is how, do, how does a company continue to run and operate, but also stay in compliance with all this? Cause they, I mean, they do right companies. It's all about profit. It's all about keeping the doors open, running their business and being efficient, but yet they also have to comply with these rights. And I would also, also will say, there's probably differences too in different states. We're from Illinois where 
from my perspective, our guard and guard reserve here gets called out quite a bit. So I would imagine employers in some locations like here where we have the Missouri River Valley, it happens pretty frequently. But if you could be in some states where you don't have as many natural disasters, it doesn't happen as frequently. So anyway, I'll let you tackle the first one, but it's the second one. I'm, I'm sure you'll you'll probably tackle that. There's probably differences in different parts of the country from what's seen. There are. There are. There are. And, and again, it goes back to um, having that balance because it in the Army, we always say citizen soldiers, um, but citizen airmen fill in the blank, whatever the case may be. And, um, and, and the idea is that, that we want folks to be able to have to, to hold both, both jobs. And ultimately we don't want to impact the very communities that these folks are coming out of in order to serve. And so that's where the ESGR comes in. So the ESGR, as I mentioned, the employer support of the garden reserve, which you can find online, ESGR.mil. Um, it's a official government program. Um, there's two aspects to, to the ESGR. Number one is for the uh, for the respective reservist or guardsman. Um, and the idea is make sure they know about the resources that are available to them. Um, many of the folks tuning in probably have heard of the term yellow ribbon. Um, ESGR goes out and uh, participates in yellow ribbon briefings before deployment, before a unit is activated, and make sure that, that um, everybody understands both the benefits that they will receive upon returning from their deployment, from their activation, but also the responsibilities that they have. So if I, Scott Klein, reported to drill, I have an obligation to, even though I may have been given off for, let's say, my drill continued into Monday, based on the distance from your location, from your drill location to your workplace, it prescribes in the law how long you have to return to work. So we're very active in making sure that the service members know what their responsibility is. You know, the, the, the law is there to, to protect you, but it's also there to make sure that you're not going to abuse um, the, uh, the rights as well. And I, I don't think, you know, folks, folks would abuse, but it sets as I think that's the right role for, you know, for, for this law and for this government agency to play a role in basically ensuring that, that there's clear and concise communication. Um, and then on the employer side, so I, I believe I've got the best volunteer job, and it is indeed a volunteer job um, in the world. I'm the employer outreach co-director, which means that I am responsible for the statement of support program. So statement of support, um, statement of support basically is the cornerstone of ESGR's efforts to gain and maintain employer support for the Garden Reserve. And the intent of the program is to increase employer support by encouraging employers to act as advocates for employee participation in the military. And supportive employers are critical to maintaining the strength and readiness of the National Guard and Reserve Unit. So translation over here basically means that not only is it there to, is the ESGR there to enforce, but it's also basically to say, hey, we're going to give you this opportunity to sign a statement of support. We'll do a ceremony with you and we'll actually help you hire folks that are and I'm biased on this, but the best employees that you can possibly hire, folks that come in with that discipline, folks that want to serve and so on. So the ESGR is there to be a support. And listen to this, Keith. The first statement of support was signed December in 1972 in the office of the Secretary of Defense by the chairman of the board of General Motors. President Nixon was the first president to sign a statement of support. And in 2005, for the very first time, every federal cabinet secretary and all federal agencies signed, signed statements of support signified their continuing efforts to be model employers. 
And since then, hundreds of, of thousands of employers have signed statements of support, basically pledging their support to Guard and Reserve employees. So what it means is that, yes, you have a responsibility that if, you know, Keith, if you're an actively drilling guardsman and your employer, again, follows the law, A, it means that they have the protections um, and they have, well, they get to put a, a plaque on their wall and there's a lot of recognition that goes along with it, which ultimately helps them to attract other folks. But it's it, the idea is that it's actually, it's going to be a net positive for you. You'll actually be able to attract higher caliber folks. You'll actually be able to retain folks that appreciate their job and guaranteed, and there's literally quantifiable and qualitative data on this. When somebody returns from an activation or from a deployment, they're going to be more senior. They're going to be more advanced. They're going to be more strategically focused and be able to perform at a better level than they did before. And uh, that's what ESGR is all about. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I had a random thought here a few minutes ago. If somebody was watching this who is not serving, who is a potential employer, they may be sitting here thinking, well, why on earth do we have so many guard and reserve then? Why are they splitting their time between civilian job and military job? Why don't they everybody just go active duty? I mean, I had the active duty uh, experience, had an opportunity to serve with some guard and reserve. And sometimes there were some jokes about the guard and reserve. But I'll tell you what, on the flip side, um, some of those, some, sometimes those, those jokes were warranted. <laughs> but on the flip side, you know, I was, did you, I was. Let me ask you this, Keith. Did you see somebody put on like their, 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 their top on and not know like how to put their patches on? Because that does happen. I don't know if I ever saw that, but, okay. you know, in my experiences in the Air Force anyway, we had at my second duty station uh, at Scott Air Force Base, we had, you know, active duty, we had guard and reserve there. And we had, because of deployment rotations, we had um, guard and reserve that were augmenting our forces. And some of them were civilian law, uh, police officers, because uh, that was my I was security forces. Some of them were corrections officers or had backgrounds in that. And so when you bring some of those civilian employment or civilian education or you know other experiences, whatever, they brought different things to the table that – and training that they could turn right around and train us like, Oh, I learned this in my civilian civilian department, or I was an EMT and I learned this, or I learned that, whatever they could turn right around and train us on those things that through no military channels, we were going to get on the active duty side because nobody had that because most of us came through the pipeline, you know, either, you know, officers came through at 22, you know, out of college or the, or the Academy or, you know, everybody else pretty much came through 18 to 25, you know, out of high school or college, this, that's the only job we knew. We did it 24-7. So, you know, these Guard and Reserve guys had their day job, and they came in on the weekends, and you talk to them, and, it's, you know, uh, they had a, we a wealth of knowledge, I guess is my point. They brought yeah. they brought something else to the table that we just we couldn't do. But we knew, I mean, we knew aspects of our job way better than they did sometimes of doing the day-to-day -day job of what we did. But they brought other skills to the table that we couldn't compete with especially yeah. the law enforcement side, like the guys who were civilian cops on the outside. <laughs> look, we just didn't face the, this, the, the problems on military bases like cops do on the outside. <laughs> like, yeah, Keith, you know, we practiced high traffic 
stops and DUIs and domestics. Like we had all those things, just not to the level the cops do on the outside. So when they came in and they have civilian experience and they're like, no, 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 try it this way. Like I know the Air Force tells you to do it this way. No, do it this way. This is what every department on the outside teaches you. This will save your life. Don't fall, you know, I hate to say it, but don't follow what the Air Force says to do. <laughs> but it was great because it was like, okay, all right, I love this. You know, those kind of things. Yeah, you're, you're raising something really, really important that I, I agree that I think, you know, our active duty brothers and sisters, I think that, you know, what, what you guys have done um, and do uh, in basically, you know, keeping things running, um, it's, it's fantastic. And I know that Guard and Reserve, when they come in and they're, you know, activated, uh, they learn from active duty every single day because, they're, you know, again, they're the ones that are doing it day in and day out. But at the same time, the outside skills uh, that folks come in with, whether you're talking about law enforcement, um, you know, certainly. Um, but it's interesting. I'm not going to try to quote the, the data, but I know in the in the Army, um, the majority of the civil affairs, the folks that are out there developing partnerships with, with other nations, um, the majority of the engineers, um, they're coming from the reserves. And, uh, and you know, it's fascinating, um, including, by the way, doctors and lawyers and chaplains and, and folks like that, which it's incredible. What always blows me away is when you have, let's say, a, uh, you know, a, a civilian banker that comes in and is a military police officer in the, in, you know, in the, in the army. And it's like, oh, my God, the differences between what they do, it's crazy. But the idea is that they bring in those skills, that seniority. I've met um, general officers that are that have a pretty uh, what I, I don't want to belittle this, but a, a, a relatively um, what you would view as an average job on the civilian side, but they're a general in the military. And then or on the flip side. You've got folks that are a senior VP of a major corporation, and they're an E4 in the uh, in the military, which is fascinating. And the skills that are that are shared and the value that's brought in, um, it really allows again our nation to fight and win uh, our battles. Um, and to be totally honest, we would not be able to be the military that we are today if we did not have the Guard and Reserve. And that said, we would not be able to have the Guard and Reserve without the employers without the employers making it possible. And that's, that's where all this comes in. So now you've got some good, good stories, I'm sure. Well, I think there's, there's a, I mean, another good point there too, is by them serving, they get other skills. So we talk about it, you know, as veterans, as service members all the time, like there's certain skills that you get, you know, the whole 50, if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late, the, the, you know, the promptness, the, the, the customs and courtesies, the politeness, the, all the technical skills that you get in whatever your, your MOS or AFSC or whatever, all those different skills that you bring to the table that you get from service that the civilian counterparts in that, in that civilian company just won't have. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not even close. You can't compete. And then the education benefits on top of it. You've got employees who are loyal because they know they're getting their job back. Chances of, of promotion or advancement they're getting education for virtually nothing so they're getting potential to advance there with with less out of pocket than than their counterparts i mean it's it's a win 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 you might just have to deal without that person for at least now six maybe six months maybe a year i don't know how long some of the deployments are where even the deployed locations are at this point but you know they're not 18 months to the middle east like they were 
10 years ago. So, yeah. and the key, the ultimate key to ESGR's success, uh, like I said, is on two sides. Number one is on the employer side and on the service member side. The key is communication. So, one of the areas that ESGR is involved in is as an ombudsman, basically to help to make sure that, hey, where there is a concern, um, that uh, before it becomes a legal issue and before it becomes a complicated thing, just make sure everybody's speaking the same language and everybody's understanding. But you, those cases are so few and far between, so rare. But the SGR is built around volunteers. So always looking for volunteers. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, always looking for volunteers to sort of advocate for the message like I am. Um, but And there's a lot of different ways to do it. But also employers. Employers, this is my big call to action over here, is um, the statement of support program. You don't even need to have guardsmen and reservists working for you in order to sign a statement of support. It's an, call it aspirational thing. It's basically saying, hey, if I had somebody, I would be uh, pledging my support to support them. And what that means is basically, I will, it basically the statement of support is basically saying, I will follow the law. And so who is not going to follow the law? Everybody will. And so you sign that statement of support and then you get a beautiful certificate, you hang it up on the wall and it lets everybody that walks into your, to your office know that, hey, I support my troops and I will follow the law. And what that means is that it likely makes it easier for you, A, to attract customers, but also to attract employees that meet that, that caliber and that criteria that you were just talking about, Keith. And that's the idea. So folks can learn more. Uh, obviously, you can link you know, through my website um, or uh, esgr.mil, and we'll make sure um, if they, you know, sign up in the state of Illinois, most likely they'll be hearing from me, <laughs> um, but if they, they can do it anywhere in the, in the country and somebody gets back to them right away, schedules a ceremony, and uh, I know is more than willing to talk to them about, uh, about this fantastic program. Awesome. esgr.mil. I, I, I wanted to, I was just going to ask that here a, a few minutes ago. Um, because I was going to ask where people can go to figure that out. So next question I've got for you is more back on the service member. So I'm assuming the resource is still going to be the same where somebody needs to go, but what advice would you have for somebody who is working for a company and that company is maybe not following the law or not cooperating? Uh, maybe, maybe it's the best way to ask that question. And they're kind of, running into a brick wall and they need a little bit of assistance where, where should they turn or what should they do? Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of resources out there online. Uh, the department of labor, um, has dedicated folks for that. Um, but, uh, you're absolutely right. Keith. Um, the generally speaking, what I would say is the, uh, the right place to go, uh, certainly is you can go to esgr.mil and then you can basically say, um, I think, I think there's a button on the right side of the page that says request assistance. Um, and they, uh, they can basically request an ombudsman uh, to jump in and provide that support. Um, and uh, on that website, again, the idea is communication. There is uh, sample letters that are available for notifying your employer for an upcoming deployment or activation. So the idea is, hey, you don't feel comfortable. Nobody necessarily feels comfortable, especially when you've got an awesome employer that's you know, been letting you go for your drill and doing all those things. But all of a sudden, you're not sure how they're going to react when you tell them, hey, you're going to be gone for six or nine months. So it literally has has sample uh, letters um, so you can do it and make sure you're you're being protected as well. Um, but also it has links to the Department of Labor, Veterans Employment and Training Service, the Department of Justice, 
and a couple of other uh, a couple of other programs. And there's even, by the way, um, a program at the Department of Education for USERRA-like protections for students um, that uh, to make sure that schools understand uh, that if you're both ser serving in the military and you're uh, continuing your education, again, there are protections for you. So if you are a service member and you are listening, make sure you reach out. Um, all those links that I just mentioned are all are all on esgr.mil and you'll find a wealth of knowledge and information, including links to all of the regulations so you can get spun up on it and make sure you are aware of, um, of all the rights that you have, but also the obligations you have as well. And that's important because it is a partnership. It is a relationship. And the key to success is the employer as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to burn that bridge because, uh, that would be a big concern. You think about it, you're knocking on the boss's door. Hey boss, you know, I got uh, guard weekend again, you know, then you're knocking, I got guard weekend again. Oh, by the way, here's my two weeks, you know, then the guard weekend, then guard weekend. Oh, uh, hey boss, I'm gonna be gone for like nine months. Yeah, that would be that would be awkward. So I, I could see where a letter would be helpful. <laughs> so but that's uh that's good to know that they got that on there. That's pretty uh, forward thinking. So th so the next topic that I want to talk to you about is another very very interesting one. And so this one kind of takes uh takes a turn towards those youths in our community that are in high school and thinking about going into the service academies. Um, I know it's a very difficult process. I know you have to have a sitting, is it a senator or congressperson? Uh, that has to, either. Okay, that's what I thought. That has to sign off on it. But you are a military academy liaison officer. So what is your responsibility that you're doing with that? This is really, really cool. Okay, this, is, uh, this has been fun. So I did not go, in full transparency, I did not go to West Point. Um, I commissioned through Officer Candidate School. Um, and, um, but I'm really passionate about service. I'm really passionate about folks coming from their community as we've been talking about for the past 30 minutes, coming from their community and I'm passionate about my service. So obviously I want to make sure that I'm enabling as many folks as possible to, um, have those same experiences and opportunities and so on. Um, so I became a MALO military academy liaison officer, which again means I've got an awesome volunteer, um, role in that I get to be an ambassador for, in my case, the Army um, for West Point, uh, the United States Military Academy up in West Point. Uh, up You're doing in a whole lot of work for nothing, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But hey, I'm passionate about this stuff. Hey, it's awesome. You get it all right there in the heart, right? You know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Keith, that basically um, nominations for West Point come from, uh, I'm not going to you know, go through all of the, all of the options, idea is that for the average person listening, um, whether it's for their kid or, you know, uh, young adults themselves interested in a free college experience at one of the best institutions in the world, um, it's possible. Um, yes, that is possible. Why go into debt? Um, what it involves is it's a competitive process um, and they go to their member of Congress, to their senator, to the vice president. Um, and there are on every single website, um, pretty much you could literally go to every single member of Congress's website and you go under service academy nominations and you fill out a form. And what happens at that point is depending on the member of Congress's office, they will set you up for a nomination panel. Often it will be folks like me that will be involved and pretty much it's an interview process. And the initial conversation will be understanding who you are and understanding um, 
what extracurricular activities you've been involved in, what your academic scores have been, basically what sets you up to be one of the elite of the country, going to one of the top schools, but also entering into an agreement, which ultimately will produce um, you as an officer in the United States, in this case, the Army. Um, you'll have a guaranteed job afterwards. Um, you'll have a guaranteed bachelor's degree. You'll have a guarantee all the things that come with it. We were just talking about it, advancing in your education, things that will set you up for success in the future of employment and so on. It's a pretty darn good deal um, when you think about it. Um, but it, like anything, it comes with hard work. And so it, your nomination comes from the, uh, from the member of Congress. But often, you know, members of Congress are kind of busy. And often they are not the right ones to uh, assess whether a candidate is the right fit for a military academy. So there's um, all over the country, in every single congressional district, there are folks um, that screen candidates and advise in the process. What does the admissions process look like? What are the deadlines you need to follow? What are the, uh, the physical, because there are physical exams and, and physical assessments you have to go through. So pretty much that's what we do. We're an academy liaison officer. We're there to make it easier. Um, and then we also can set folks up with tours, get them out to West Point um, so they could actually see the academy. There's some unique summer experiences so they could get a a little bit of a, an experience of what it's like to kind of be a cadet in the uh, in the military, um, which is awesome. And if somebody's not the right fit for that, I promise you, I will always give them advice about ROTC or about officer candidate school, and we'll set them up for information. And even if none of those are the right fit, I'll make sure that we have a conversation about education too. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's an awesome program. So I've been in it now for about two years, and I've talked to so many candidates Um in Illinois and beyond, including, by the way, folks that are overseas, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, that's, that'd be pretty neat. Uh, yeah, it'd be kind of, it might be a little scary for some uh, high school kids to go all the way to, to West Point. And uh, I mean, that's like, that's just diving into the culture. That might make them second guess their decision. <laughs> but uh, no, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, because not everybody can get in there. So that's great that you're having that conversation with them and be like, hey, if this doesn't work, you know, maybe there's some other colleges that could work and ROTC or, you know, whatever, um, you know, cause we, we always need, we always need good leaders, you know, and it doesn't matter where, where you came from. I mean, yeah, get good, good leaders from West Point and, and the other academies, but get good, get them from good colleges here, there and everywhere in between too. So, but, uh, I know that's very, very, very tough to get, yeah to get through. The so the Melo tagline is making a difference in tomorrow's leaders today. And by the way, I know the same is true with the Air Force Academy, um, with uh, the Naval Academy in Annapolis. Um, ultimately, these are all great programs. And again, it's about service. But I mean, hey, my advice as, a, as an academic myself, I mean, folks, don't go into debt over, over your education. I mean, hello. <laughs> Absolutely. I I hundred percent agree. Like if you can physically, if you can physically do it and pass the, pass the entrance, try for it or enlist and get your education that way. You know, if that, if that's an avenue that works for you, or if you can get an academic scholarship or athletic scholarship and go to college and get some of that paid for and, you know, tuition, you know, I mean, the less that you have to pay for the better. So there's, there's certain ways to go about it. So, um, 
it's got to be very, very interesting though, leading people through that process. Um, I'm sure you see quite a, quite a, quite a few different uh, applicants come through there in, in various stages of being ready. So what, what exactly does that look like? What, or what, I'll go to the physical stuff. Obviously they're, you know, obviously going to be fit for fit for duty. So uh, I'm sure that's all kind of standard. Is they send them to like MEPS kind of situation or well, how there, do they there's, that? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So the first thing that, that folks go through is the candidate fit, fitness assessment, the CFA, um, which is one of the requirements for admission to the United States Military Academy at West Point. It's basically, it's a test of strength, agility, speed, and endurance. And the idea is basically to predict a, uh, what their aptitude for the physical program at the service academy will be. I believe, I believe it's the same CFA that's done for all the academies. Um, and the idea is to make it pretty simple for these congressional offices um, to sort of have a standard. And it consists of the basketball throw, a cadence pull-up or flexed arm hang, a 40-yard shuttle run, modified sit-ups, push-ups, and the one-mile run. And um, there's a lot of resources, by the way, available online. So if somebody's tuning in, they're like, oh, my God, sign me up, Scott. Get me in touch. I will tell you, look at the videos online, um, and then uh, it will help you to, uh, to, to make sure you're ready. Um, and then pretty much if they get in touch with us as a Melo, we are able to schedule them for the CFA. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely the idea is not as much – I mean – Again, they're going to have a college experience. The idea is not necessarily testing them. It's not a military physical fitness test because it's going to be several years until they're going to be deploying and doing all the military kind of stuff. The idea is, hey, part of going to West Point is it is a military academy. You will have physical requirements, and we want to make sure that you have the ability for that. But yeah, you will go through a examination process. Make sure, again, you're going to be fit for military service. Um, you'll submit your, um, your SAT, ACT scores. Um, and that is a requirement as well. There's medical exams as well. Oh yeah. Oh okay, yeah, I absolutely. I figured medical that's what exam. I was kind of getting at. I know there's gotta be a medical exam somewhere, right? Just, you could just let way too many people through that. <laughs> that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so all of those usual things that we're, that we're used to for, you know, for, for military, um, definitely, they will have to pass a, a medical exam um, for sure, and it's a pretty pretty thorough process. Admissions, um, so I don't want to I don't want to mislead somebody and say, hey, you're going to contact a Melo and they're going to get you through. We are simply representatives um, to walk them through the process, but the process is pretty extensive. Oh, I kind of figured so. That's that's why I want to ask that question because it's like there's got to be more steps than what you think of, rather than just go fill this out online and submit it all and cross your fingers and hope for the best. Right. So, you know, I know one of the things that I've always heard since I was young is a lot of it is, is obviously there's a physical side. There's the grades because it is college, right? There's admission requirements just like anywhere else, but the character and, and the community service, those kind of things. So what exactly is the Academy kind of looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. We are looking for the leaders of tomorrow, the folks that have stood out from all their peers in high school. Um, and it's an interesting time to assess a candidate when they're in high school. <laughs> um, so clearly they cannot have gotten into uh, into major trouble. Um, they need to have stood out um, with, uh, with 
really impressive letters of recommendation that make them stand out. And ultimately, they, they're going to get a recommendation from a member of Congress. And usually the member of Congress will also want to actually uh, interview them because they, the member of Congress is basically given just a very, very small number of these nominations um, to be given out. And they're basically being given an opportunity to provide a free scholarship to somebody. So it's pretty valuable. It's a pretty valuable tool. So the member of Congress is going to meet with them and trust me, they're going to be vetted. They're going to be vetted. And so we're talking about folks of the highest caliber, um, the, of the highest educational standards, of the highest physical standards, of the highest extracurricular activity standards. And this is all just in high school. We're not talking about folks that are in college and, and yeah. you know, we're looking at that, at that kind of stuff. We're talking about stood out that they've been volunteering. They've been a president of a club, all those other things. If you're hearing any of those things, hey, you, you may be the right fit. There are also, by the way, um, different service connections as well. Sons and daughters of career military personnel are eligible for presidential nominations. Um, and that's important. And certainly um, sons and daughters of deceased or disabled veterans, there's another category. So all the information, if you go to westpoint.edu, um, it will give you literally everything that you need to know so you can uh, so you can see. But I'll, I'll give you a couple of statistics that I pulled up before this conversation. So um, a recent class, um, I this was a couple of years ago, um, they had 15,407 applicant files started, of which 4,166 were nominated, 2,353 were qualified, and 1,190 were admitted. Um, and in their ranks in their high school class, 71% ranked first, um, ranked in the top fifth of their class. Um, and I go on and on. Their AC, their their ACT scores um, were, you know, obviously upper end. Their academic honors, um, for the most part, they were valedictorians, salutarians, a National Merit Scholarship rec Recognition, National Honor Society. They were the Boy and Girl Scouts. They were class president. They published things in their school publications. They debate. They were in the debate club, the drama club, scouts, and so on. And I could go on and on, but ultimately, it's it's the top performers. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, especially the academics, I, I would, I would imagine pretty much every one of them is top five in their class or you know, top 5%, top 10%, at least depending, uh, depending on the size of the class. But yeah, those that, uh, don't sleep <laughs> just like successful people who are just find themselves in all kinds of things and overtapped and just, uh, get themselves in all kinds of stuff. So yeah. Awesome. That gives a, a really good snapshot for anybody who's got a, uh, you know, a son or daughter who's, who's approaching that age. Uh, maybe that's a good question to ask. At what point in time should somebody start looking at that, starting that process? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd say um, if they are a, uh, a sophomore um, or junior in high school, they, they, they need to be heavily involved in that process. I'd say sophomore is probably the right time um, to start to explore um, and, uh, in, uh, regardless of where you are in the country, um, there are melos everywhere. And so it's pretty much first step. I'd say, look at your member of Congress's website, go to, uh, westpoint.edu. Um, both of those places, um, good places to start the process. Um, but yeah, definitely don't wait too long because it is a long process with many steps involved. Awesome. 
That is awesome. So I'm going to throw up here at the very end. I've got your website scrolling across the bottom. I'll have it in the show notes as well to relax everybody who, <laughs> who's listening to it. It'll be in the show notes. But you've also got a book. So I wanted, I wanted you to uh, tell us a little bit about your book too in case anybody's interested. It'll be in the show notes too uh, for anybody who's listening. Just yeah. tell us a little about your book. Thank you. So I wrote a book, um, gosh, I think five years ago, um, called Get Down to Business, which is also the same name as my radio program and podcast, Get Down to Business. Um, and I, it really is exactly as it sounds. I mean, that's been the story of my life of getting down to business. Um, there's two kinds of folks, Keith. There's the folks that when they're starting a business, they um, spend a lot of time and they, uh, and they budget and they plan and they strategize and they build a business plan and they do that over and over and over again until they run out of money and they can't start their business. Um, and then there's the folks that take action immediately. Um, and sometimes they do it without a plan. Um, getting down to business has been my mantra um, of ultimately, as my wife knows, or my pet peeve is the word they. The idea is that there's no they. There's nobody that you can really say somebody else's responsibility. If you want to get something done, you got to do it yourself. If you can hear my passion for all these volunteer activities, you just got to do it. So that's been my story around entrepreneurship. That's been my story around academics and education. And that's been my story around um, all these things that I'm so passionate about. It's not something that, um, you know, I come home at night and I kick my feet up and I watch TV. It's how can we make the world a better place? How can we get folks, you know, moving along in their dreams and their journeys? Um, and you hear me keep saying the word service. Service is really, really important. Not everybody is meant to put on a uniform like you or I, Keith, um, but rather everybody can serve in their community and step up and get involved and make a difference. And whether it's, you know, folks that want to uh, volunteer for an ESGR or Melo or whatever the case may be, it's great. But that's basically been the book, um, Get Down to Business. I talk about my own experiences um, and uh, and give people sort of what's been my playbook. And I will not say that my way is the way. My way is a way. Um, so I I had fun, you know, sharing my experience with, with folks that I've gotten to know over the past number of years. Um, I've hosted a radio show. I've been super involved locally in government and community and so on. And I try to teach people, um, folks that are just getting started, kids that might just be coming out of college, folks that are being discharged from the military, um, that are looking for a, a path. Um, I'm just one of the many books that they can read and the shows that they can listen to. Um, but hey, Keith, I've been listening to your uh, to your past shows and seeing your show notes. You've got some pretty impressive guests. That's a good way to start as well. Thank you. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more with your philosophy on business. You know, there's some people that do that. And then, you know, what it really takes is just uh, in, in the words of, of a friend of mine, Elaine Ballone, imperfect action. You just got to do like it, it, it's not going to be perfect. You just got to go do something. Yeah. Don't worry about just messing action. up action. You know, it's like, uh, I actually, I haven't said it for a long time on this podcast, but it was one of the things I first thought of when I started this podcast was, and I don't even remember where I first heard this, but it was like the, the, just the fear of being on video at first. And it was like, well, your, your worst video is out there. Your worst podcast episode is out there. Now I don't know which one that is right. Somebody could listen to all almost a hundred of them now. And everybody's going to have a different opinion, which one's my worst. I, I might have an opinion if I stopped and thought about it, 
but it doesn't really matter. But my worst one is technically out there, <laughs> you know? And when you think about that back of your head, it's like, what, what's the worst I'm going to do? Like make my worst one. Yeah. Just, just go do, just go do, just make content, make it valuable, share with the world and, uh, and do something good today. And just do, you know, do action, make something happen. Make mistakes, but learn from it. Learn from it. I have made God so many mistakes. Um, and you learn from it and you, and you grow from it. Um, but that's, that's the beauty of life. And, uh, that's the beauty of, uh, of what we do each and every day. Isn't that called a uh, failing forward or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah absolutely. Exactly. So anyway, Scott, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us that this was, I mean, this is really informative to me. So I know this would be really, really informative to a lot of people. Um, especially the guard reserve guys or anybody who's got some kids who are, you know, maybe a couple of years away from college and, and sitting here thinking, Hey, maybe my grades are good enough. And maybe I do enough to have enough bullet points on that, uh, and that college resume to, to maybe think about the, one of the academies. So really appreciate you sharing with us and, and giving people some blueprints for some success. Yeah, no, thank you, Keith, for, uh, for being such a resource for everybody. Thanks for sharing this. I'm always available. Uh, I know you'll, uh, you'll link to the to my website um, through the show notes. I'm very accessible. And last thing that I'll say to everybody is that, you know, for the folks that have been serving those battle buddies that are out there, um, making sure that they, uh, that they seek out a mentor and that they uh, understand the resources that are available to them. You have done amazing things. So take care of yourself, um, literally take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, and so on. But realize that you have enormous resources that are out there and um, just reach out to good folks like Keith or myself um, that uh, that are there to, to help you um, with the next step. So thank you, Keith, for being such an advocate and such a resource. And I look forward to uh, the sharing more in the future. Awesome. Thanks for being here. You bet. Thanks. Here you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Remember, you can go check out my website, battlebuddypodcast.net, for all kinds of information and resources. And like I always say, if something's not on there and you think it should be, Send me an email. Let me know what you think should be on there, and I will look at trying to get that resource on there for everybody. And if you're struggling today for any reason, remember the National Suicide Hotline number is 988-PRESS-1.